All right. Good afternoon. Hello, 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 everyone. This is the ITCAST, and I'm your host, Mika Sherell. Uh, the, the ITCAST is our community outreach podcast that aims to increase diversity in conversations on health and sexuality. This is our last episode of the year, so I'm so grateful that you've been along this journey with us. Um, through this work, we are creating a world where all people feel loved, honored, and respected. Support the ITCAST and all the work that we do by visiting the ITCAST.com and also subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this work with your community. All right, so this week's topic, oh, this week's topic is real talk on sex as a revolutionary act. Today in the booth, we have Carol Queen. Carol Queen, PhD, is a staff sexologist and company historian at Good Vibrations. The woman founded Sex Shop, where she has worked since 1990. She also curates the Antique Vibrator Museum. A note, she's a noted cultural psychologist, who's sexologist, <laughs> sexologist, whose work has been widely published. She's written, co-authored, and edited several books, and frequently provides media commentary about sexuality-related issues. Queen has been speaking publicly about sexuality for over 45 years and frequently addresses academic as well as general and specialized audiences. Carol, join us on the show. Oh my goodness, I am so happy to be with you. Thank you very much for that intro and whoo, it's been a fabulous long change trip. Yes, I cannot wait to hear about it. <laughs> I, I definitely know a little few of the ins and outs. Um, so before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Okay. So, uh, I grew up in rural Oregon in the sticks. I was the oldest kid of a school teacher, dad, and a mom who worked in the school office. So there were always books around little brother, not the most, uh, hundred percent happy home. Uh, you know, 1950s, there was was a lot going on after World War II. It was in all, all sides of the country, I, I think, in the world. And anyway, so I, I looked around my not so happy home. I was like, something's wrong here. I'm a smart kid. Something's wrong here. It, you know, we don't have a ton of money, but, we, but the money comes in regularly. You know, I was sort of, sort of low, um, low professional class, I guess you could say, you know, because yeah, I mean, my my dad was educated and, you know, there was some intellectual vibe around the house, but um, but yet and um, I'm like, what's going on here it has to do with sex somehow. What is sex? Not really sure exactly. Tried to go to the library to figure all that stuff out. What's masturbation? Could I find a library book to tell me what I needed to know to save my damn life? Because I was a kid and I was like, they're not going to let me read those books. So I, you know, I think that's one of the reasons I write books now is because I really sought out the written word as a substitute for the knowledge that it was tough or impossible to get from adults and other people around me. And mm -hmm. um, it was enough of a, a journey and a drama to get to those books that they, they really cemented in me how important they are. And, and you know, those, 
those were the days when we would try to look at, you know, dirty magazines or whatever, like, hey, Billie Eilish, I know that your moving pictures moved and (laughs) this kind of stuff, either, you know, open doors for us, guard us for life, some of the above, whatever, whatever it did. Um, So I was an early bloomer around sexuality because that was another way that I tried to learn, right? Where do you learn? Well, you go out on the street and try to figure it all out. And is that a good way to learn? Arguably no, but that was one of my strategies. I went to college. By that time, I knew I wasn't 100% straight. Actually, I may be 0% straight, but um, I was one of the founders of uh, an early gay youth group, the third in the country, if I, if I can figure it out correctly. And uh, a couple gay boys and and I put a a gay youth group together. We sued the school district in Eugene, Oregon uh, for the right to put our ads in the uh, school newspaper. And so that was pretty exciting. That was a, that was my, my early, um, my early engagement with the way that the people who have lawyers do things. were you? I was 17. And um, the reason that, I mean, we, we needed a gay youth group because everybody else who was over 21 met at the gay bar. You know, this was the era of the gay bars, the primary meeting place. Right. And we can go. Some of us didn't have fake IDs anyway. It's not safe. It's not safe. No, no. And not only that, even if we're safe and, you know, I came from a relatively small college town so it was safer than it was for many in many places right but at the same time it was still not easily accessible if somebody was a younger teen little young or whatever there was no sneaking somebody in if they looked you know like they were really a youth and nor should we have it was illegal but (laughs) together um that was something that we could do to to you know so it was it was house parties and rap groups and solidarity that way. We could, we could do that. And that's why my bio says 45 years, because I was well under 20 when I started getting onto panels and doing things. I was a shy kid, a shy little white girl in a mostly white town. And the only place I can remember seeing any diversity uh, in my, you know, early college years around was, was in the queer community where Mm. if you were queer, there wasn't, there wasn't five communities. (laughs) It was a town. There was one like in the Bay area. If you're queer, you got to figure out what flavor of queer you are and who you want to be around. And if, you know, who wants you to come to their gig and all of that, there's, there's multiple levels and layers of, of us, you know, together and separately, right? Many, many, many of us separately. This town was, I think, kind of too small for that. So that was, that was meaningful to me. And, um, and, and it wasn't, and it wasn't just, you know, race, class, culture um, connections that, that could be made with that overview of, of queerness. It was also um, the kinds of queer people that weren't necessarily, um, lesbian or gay or bi or um a, there were not very many out trans people initially but but as we went along there were and uh, a couple of the i was youth with are 
um, our trans adults now. I hope they're well. I hope tell everybody out there and stay well. And the uh, the last thing I want to say about that is that like if like the the town crossdresser showed up at one of our meetings once and he was like, I want to get some dresses and lingerie at the department store downtown. They won't let me. They won't let me in. And I thought, take your cap off, it might help. But that's none of my freaking business, is it either? If he wants to go shopping for lingerie in his cowboy hat, he should do that. And so he's like, would you come pick it with me? It's like, that was the 70s. We were making that stuff up as we went along. It was um, a meaningful time to grow up as queer, I got to say. It really was. It was pre-HIV it was pre-queer community in many ways, but the community was also more together in some ways, in some places. So that was awesome. Wow, I love that. I love that. Like there's the whole conversation of like, you kind of making it up as you go. There's so many structures these days, you know, it's like, you know, these are the pronouns and these are the groups and the flavors and like all these different things. And there's, so many ways in which to challenge that I feel like people have kind of lost the fact that like we're making this up as we go along we're feeling into what feels right and we're evolving like <laughs> and it's going to keep doing that and keep doing that so you know there's something beautiful in the fact that you know like it, it gets to start as a small seed yeah it gets to start as a small seed and it it doesn't grow exactly the same way in all places and all contexts, right? Mm -hmm. I think we know that the, the international queer community is by now international enough that we we influence each other or show each other, you know, possibilities. But a few years ago, um, when I went to Brazil to a conference that my friends from Sexbox put together. Um, I had to talk about the, the definition and the, the his, history of queer because the community there was like, this is, a, this is a Northern cultural piece of imperialism that you all want us to call ourselves this, we don't feel this. And I was like, then you totally should not call yourselves this if you don't feel this, but let me tell you what the, backstory of it is for us in the US and just so, just so you know and i feel that way you know the you mentioned the pronouns and the and the the ways that we're not just pronouns i mean i think i think this is a, this is a really important moment the whole pronouns time what it's challenging people to to think more deeply about and 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 giving people more um, identity opportunity from the get go i think that's deeply, deeply important and, and slicing sexation and, and romantic orientations more and more thinly, right? Like sushi, lay it out like sushi. It's a spectrum. <laughs> it's always been a spectrum. That's so important. But one of the things that I really, I think about and I get a little triggered by even um, activated, it just makes me, it makes me makes me live back my history a little bit is, is when people today are like, oh no, that shit y'all used to call yourself back in the day, that's wrong. I'm like, um, you can't tell some old queer people they're wrong. They were here first. They did what they did. They fought what they fought. 
People were shitty to them in all directions many times. A bunch of their friends died. They yeah. lived in the communities in which they lived because they gravitated there and because they were safer there than, than they were outside. And if you all look around, not enough has changed for us to turn around and say, oh, you guys, you were so stupid. Right. No, those are our heroes. Those are our forebears. And right. you don't want to use the same words, fine. Don't use them. Don't put them down. Yeah, but you forget who paved the way. Or you never learned in the first place. I mean, saying that's forgetting. I mean, that, that's kind of insulting for the young the unforgetful people who forgot. You know, no, nobody fucking taught them. Excuse me. I hope I can say that word on your podcast. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we get five of them on YouTube. Ash. <laughs> Try to be careful now. <laughs> we haven't hit our quota yet. All right. I'll be careful. <laughs> oh, um, but no, you know, this is so powerful and it, enough has not changed, you know, in all the time that we've been doing this and Apologies. I really do see the the power in the fact that we have to keep coming together. We have to keep having these conversations and not taking it out on, you know, like anybody, you know, it's like this pronoun conversation. And like, it's very easy to get very upset if someone messes up pronouns. It's like, we're all learning this again. And shifting the consciousness of what that means, it's going to take time because this is a lot of people who, again, may or may not evolve in this conversation around sexuality with us. Yeah, I, you know, I, there, there, there are people out there who wish us ill, right? Who, who you know, I'm not 100% cis-identifying anymore. And I, you know, I wonder if I know very many people who are anymore in the world that I occupy, right? But that's a privileged space in so many ways. And, um, you know, the, there are plenty of people inside who don't, who don't step up to the correct pronouns or the correct languaging as quickly as others and yet wish no ill. Right. I want us to be, I want us to be attuned to the fact that, that there are, there are allies and friends around us that, that don't always get it right or that we don't, we just simply don't agree on certain things. Mm -hmm. Although that's always a conversation that's worth having if we're close in those ways, like the, like the plenty of people who thought that they had done some anti-racist work before the last couple of years. And then mm -hmm. they were like, oh, there's more to do. Okay, let's, Let's let's step up. Let's get with it. And then the people who whined, right? I mean, you know, there are all these people around us. But 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 I want us to be able to say we know we know where we're at least somewhat safe and ex we can tell that there are places sometimes yeah. in some of our cases much too close to us where we are not. And that's a, that's a differential that I think, I mean, you know, my kid pals and gay youth were having to contend with that all the time, you know, getting thrown out of their house, you know, had to run, live with an older boyfriend and treated on like, a, you know, the, not the man of the house, but the servant of the house. And, you know, there were so many different things yeah. that people had to contend with 
on their way to trying to make it through alive. And I just want us to understand that that's still real for us, for our our younger people now, for a lot of our older people now. You know, I I said, I was like, you know, don't don't talk like that to your older people. It's not because I think elders need to be respected just because. I think it's because the path and the journey and the work and the fight is part of all of our history. And now those people are having to go into nursing homes where they have to go back in the closet again. I mean, it's, it's not over. Our, our process is not over. Our, our journey together to their world is not over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and it's, it's very, it's very recent. You know, I was just watching something today. Um, I forget the young woman's name in Canada, Nikki, uh, she passed away like a year ago. And there was this, you know, whole conversation around, um, not being able to use someone's gender identity as a defense for like for killing them, for harming them, for any type of assault. And that was like so like so pivotal in the conversation because people don't understand that that's not self-defense. That is a hate crime. Yeah. And <laughs> So many hate crimes have been disguised as self-defense. It's, it certainly isn't self-defense. I mean, if somebody of any identity is coming after you and is about to kill you, then that kind of a thing might be a self-defense situation. You know, being in the other seat in your pickup truck is not the same thing. Especially not after you ask them to do it. I don't know, this is, you know, we're talking together on December 17th and not all of your listeners may know, although some probably do, that December is a day of, of mourning and acknowledgement uh, for sex workers in particular, December 17th, there's a, there's a trans day of remembrance in November, right? And there's a sex workers day of remembrance every December 17th. And wow. it's um, a time when we acknowledge the people that we lose because they're sex workers. And of course, trans sex workers, BIPOC sex workers, uh, people who are marginalized on money and possibility in life, that those, that's, a, that's a more dangerous work to do than, oh, you know, I've got a pretty picture in a, in a flashy sex magazine and you know i've got somebody in the other room watching over me and you just any any way that we are uh, touching sexuality whether it's an identity or it's work or it's both or it's whatever there's always so much difference in the way that people um experience those things and Mm -hmm. all of the other cultural fracture points can affect that you know i'm not telling you anything you don't know and probably none of your listeners either, really. But I just wanted to acknowledge that December 17th, here we are. And this is one of the things we have to we have to also pay attention to as we're making the world a better place. Yeah, you know, thank you for that. I actually did not know that this was Sex Wars Day of Remembrance. And I think that that's really huge. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to kind of judge and assess what people are doing with their lives or to think that it looks a certain way. And... It's, it's not something that should be judged. Like, 
period. Like everyone's got the choice to do what they want to do and earn how they want to earn and live how they want to live. As long as it's not affecting you, it's not your business. Yeah. And if some of those folks don't feel like they have a choice, then that's an even greater space of, you know, compassion and support and allyship that they likely need. But the people do feel as though they've made at least a partial choice or a I was born to do this. This is my calling kind of a level of choice. No matter what the the background and circumstances have been for for us who have done any sex work, there's, you know, there's always a way that we could treat other people more compassionately and make life safer for them. And sex work is another one of those cultural points that that sometimes safety isn't a guarantee and and that that intersectional analyses also you know when when sex work is part of the mix that becomes another way of you know folding up the origami crane so that you can understand the whole by all of the by all of the folds that you have to make by all of the different ways that that people bring their identities and their lives and experience in i'm not trying to bum us out on this conversation <laughs> i realized that i got heavy right off and i didn't mean to do that but sometimes that's sometimes that's what talking about sexuality brings right. up and sometimes it's very necessary like one of the questions i wanted to ask was do you recall the shift on when um when being a sex worker was criminalized to when actually hiring a sex worker was criminalized, like that actual shift or like the sex worker, like, yeah. Yeah. Can you, yeah. Can you share about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, there, there have been, you know, in the first place, just like, just like various kinds of queer sex um, laws about sex work are generally um, state to state in the United States. And, and, you know, and, you know, they're parts of the, the world and this, you know, the, the global, the, the sex work movement is global. The 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 rights, dignity, safety, etc. Um, movement to, to make space mm-hmm. for sex workers in those ways is. But um, in the end, which is the place that I know best, there are different different kinds of laws in different places. So there have been states where um, providing the work was criminalized and or buying the work was criminalized, paying for paying for sex, sexual entertainment in various ways. But mm-hmm. it became um, sort of a, let's, let's arrest them instead of them, rhetoric at least, and some laws mm-hmm. followed up um, in the mid to late nineties. And it's um, often called the Scandinavian model. Um, some of the countries in Scandinavia were like, you know, prostitutes wouldn't do anything bad if Johns wouldn't hire them in the first place. Let's go arrest the Johns and see the logic. And of course, what the sex workers turned around and said is, paranoid, irritated Johns are, are, are even less fun or less fun in general to connect with than oh, hi, I'm feeling turned on tonight. How are you? You know, kinds of Johns, for one thing. For another thing, what are you trying to starve us to death here by by away our means of of livelihood? You know, we're doing this to earn money, keep a roof over our heads if we can, to feed ourselves and our kids if we have 
of us do. There's, and since that time, I've got to say, and partly because I think the sex workers in Northern Europe in particular had to step up and say, you all, you all made up a whole bunch of stuff about the, what it's like to be a sex worker. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a phrase, it's called nothing about us without us. Would you talk to us before you make some new laws on our behalf? <laughs> Can we just spread that one across all the different conversations and contexts? Well, we should. I've, cer- I've certainly heard trans people talk, you, you know, use, use similar language. And, you know, I mean, yes, all of us who are and marginalized in any way that somebody out there is like, I'm a do-gooder. I know how it is. It's like, do you though? Right. And I just, two things I want to put in. That comes up for me when we look at like the conversation around reparations and all these decisions and contexts that are being made about people of color that have nothing to do with people of color. And then there's the assumption that what these people are doing, sex workers in general, is bad. That someone has to be at fault because this is bad. It's like... (laughs) Exactly. Exactly, because some, but we got to arrest someone, don't we? No. no. Is what makes it bad that money exchanges hands? Like, wait, what, what about it makes it bad? Um, so, yeah, thank you for shining some light on that and bringing that to the conversation. Well, I can think of an old quote that actually sort of bridges what we've just been talking about and, and, uh, and the sort of the revolutionary sex idea that that we're diving into too and um right now i can't remember who the the old the old brainiac was of this quote but the quote is something like people can look it up online if they want um the quote something like um eros was given poison to drink he did not die of it but degenerated into a vice So isn't that heavy? And I really didn't come here to bum everyone out. I mean, that was kind of that was kind of terrible. But on the other hand, it's also so profound because this idea that um, what people are doing in a sex work context or in a vice context, whatever it may be, is dealing with their their needs and their desires that that seems like the most accessible or logical place to do that stuff. I mean, talk about sexual diversity, the client base of a sex worker is often a whole like, like it's a, a whole spectrum of difference for many yeah. people's experience. Certainly when, when I was in that world, it was true for me. And I was like, nobody told me there was all this stuff going on out here. This is very instructional, <laughs> but, but Eros doesn't get the, you know, sexuality itself doesn't get the respect. Yeah. You know, in the world that so many of us come from, it's just not respected. It's at best. It's like, well, it's a, you know, it's a gift from God, but don't talk about it. Don't don't be going out in the street and creating a big old parade about it. Why would you do that? And and that's part of the sexual revolution, you know, that we have lived through. I came out only years after Stonewall, and you know, it's 
it's been an interesting 50 years. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I have the experience that this is something that's been evolving in a multitude of arenas, like the, the physical autonomy, the mental autonomy, the levels of consent that people are able to have these days, like the awareness people are able to have these days, when you rewind 50 and 100 years and it's like, oh, we didn't have those contexts. People didn't have autonomy of their bodies. Women still don't. Oh my God, can we talk about that? That's a lot. And it's, it's even more of a lot now than it was six months ago, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, so I'm in the Midwest today and like, I, I'm from here. There's actually, you talked about all the queer people going together in their own communities. Well. There's a reason I don't live here anymore, but there, it, it blows my mind to see what's going on in the realm of politics. You know, like when I was in school, Roe v. Wade was a thing. It was done, it was set in stone, there wasn't a problem. And now I'm like, we, we're turning over Roe v. Wade and Pluto is a planet. Like none of this makes sense for me. <laughs> and how, like. <laughs> well, yeah, wow. Yeah, how did that happen? And the answer is, just like how we came to be on this podcast right now, a lot of people got together with a point of view to try to shape things in a way that we or they believed was a way for them to be shaped. So, you know, I've heard it talked about as a, you know, a culture war, sex wars, all of those kinds of things, you know. I don't, I don't want to jack everybody up more by talking war language, Yee! but we are not all on the same page. That's about as gently as I can put it uh-huh. around what the role of sexuality should be, what, what sex or gender roles are, are right on and which are not, and, and, and how... And part of the problem is, I think the, in general, the queer side of things and the sex positive side of things has, has sought to make um, sexuality and gender identity and, and decisions and relationship configurations and choices and all, all the things part of something that you could educate around, activate around, um, get, get support from others around, and then you could you know, make your little communities and your networks and your organizations and you could, you know, you could go out and, and be free. We could ch- change a couple of draconian laws and you can now you could rent an apartment and wouldn't you get married? It's awesome. And, and we're, we're almost there. The, mm-hmm. the arc of justice, you know, what our favorite recent president said about the arc of justice, right? And, 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 that should be so right. And the we're going to educate and support people go out and make good decisions way of thinking isn't the way that everybody thinks. Some people are like, we better make some rules and enforce them. So part of, I think, what, what we're, we're messing around with when we talk about all of these various kinds of issues, you know, and I, I'm, I'm bringing it in a pretty big picture you know, space to talk about it this way, but it obviously plays out in every single person's life in some kind of way. Yeah. I mean, all these people out here who don't think they have anything to do with any of these issues 
are probably some gender or another, are probably some sexual orientation or another. Mm-hmm. And somebody might decide to come for them <laughs> too. You know, the right. things that are that are okay now. We're not all okay 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. And we we need to keep our eyes on that arc and, yeah. and make sure that the education goes out as far as it possibly can, because I just don't want, you know, I think about, about this authoritarian way of thinking about how things should be. And there are kids of those folks who will either reject that or accept it. You know, it's moving on into the future. I really didn't come to bum you out today. <laughs> I feel like the but... <laughs> I mean, you know, revolutions, they always have, there's always that, that bit of sand in there for the oyster. Like, <laughs> right. right. And everybody's like, sex is fun to talk about. Well, yeah. I mean, of course it is. It's great. To, it's great fun to talk about. Whether you're having it or not, sometimes it's great fun to talk about, but it's also fraud. Mm-hmm. You know, I said in my, I said in my, um, intro something's something's wrong in this house it has to do about sex i don't know what sex is exactly but i'm i'm just i'm just i was 11 year old vibe out trying to figure out what what i was living in yeah and when i was almost 30 my mother tells me that she had been sexually abused when she was a girl and she hadn't told much of anybody her whole entire life Mm -hmm. and so she was stuck in this space that was fraught and untenable. Right. And and I just was reading the vibes off of that. I could not interpret them, but I could I could recognize them. And yeah. and you know, plenty of us have had vibes of those or different kinds in our homes growing up, not understanding what kind of messages we were taking on. And and thank goodness that that people who have kids now are a little more like. I better send some good messages. You know, this is important stuff, but I want to remind everyone that it's important stuff because the alternative is this confusion that people have to fight their way out of in order to come to the place where we're making some space for them in the first place, right? I mean, I'm I'm sure everybody listening had some kind of a path, you know, from, from not understanding what all this situation was you know, what is all the fuss? Oh my God, the poor asexuals going like, A, what is all the fuss? And B, why are you people all acting like this? This is not where we're at. And I'm so grateful that they're here with us to talk about those issues. Absolutely, absolutely. There's so many people who, like the, that's, that's the reality around sex. We all have to be the same way. That's when we have a critical breakdown. Like, we don't all have to like the same flavor, the same color, whatever, whatever, whatever. We just, let's not impose our preferences on other people. Right. And, and you know, I, I, I'm sure you know this, that the, you know, when, when, when you go out and befriend the kinky people and they start using the word vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> replied to a, I just replied to a, um, a query for a, a journalist comment the other day and the, the, the title of the thing is like explain why vanilla doesn't mean boring and I'm like I don't even know if they're getting into the sexual version of that yet I think they're just I think they're just like insulting vanilla ice cream right now but but 
does do all the people know that the reason that we use this word vanilla this way is that it's not because vanilla is boring. It's because we just want to remind you there's a lot of flavors of ice cream. Yeah. So many flavors, so many different kinds of toppings you can put on the mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, the awesome sex and food metaphor that works for practically all situations. Yes. We just brought that into kinky world to try to explain all this to people. Yeah, and I mean, who doesn't like sex and ice cream? Often at the exact same time. I mean, it's it's a little, actually, I was going to say, it's warmer in the Midwest than, than is seasonally average. So it, it might is. be warm enough with ice cream. Even now, out here, it's getting a little colder on the coast. But yeah, and also some people are really tough about, you know, cold on cold. They don't care. They're fine. I can't be. I'm, I'm up. I'm a mess with cold on cold. I want to put socks on, right? But not everybody does that. It's everybody's an individual as well as part of a collective, right? And that's beautiful. We could just, you know, if we could like hold those two things. So many people, I think it's it's just hard to, to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm an individual. Wait a minute, I'm a part of this community that expects me to be a certain kind of a way. It's like, yeah, and there's a there's a path there. You have to find out what it is. It's not the yes. same for everybody. So you you were mentioning your mom earlier, and one of the things that occurred to me around sex as a revolutionary act is actually being trauma informed, and like what that looks like. There's so many, you know, even people who don't realize that they're going through traumatic experiences, um, you know, out in the world and not getting the support that they need. So. You know, that's something I just wanted to throw in there. Like, I, that's definitely, it's one of the things that I see is starting to arise. Yes. And it's so, I would say that in some ways it's growing, it's growing out of or adja- very adjacent to the, cons- the radical consent movement. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, I, you know, when you started to say that, I was like, I'm thinking back, the, 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 the time was, and I can essentially remember this time in my lived life, you know, 60 60 plus years, the time was when the really radical revolutionary thing about sexuality was just being able to speak about it or teach about it or write about it without getting censored, you know, and just before my time, you know, selling, selling birth control or anything else related to sexuality was a crime, right? And, and then time marched on a little bit. And then the radical act was talking about sex outside of relationships and sexuality is something that's like sort of a natural desire that people have. And then sexual diversity issues, the queer revolution, the lesbian revolution, and and more and more and more different kinds of people. And this is still, as you know, we talked about the words and the terms earlier, right? This is still going on today. People are like, wait a minute, there's only these 47 choices. I don't relate to any of these 47 choices. We're gonna have to have a 48th, maybe even a 49th, mm-hmm. 50th order. And I'm not trying to mix either because if if one of us feels our, our sexual self is not seen, then that's, that's hard to live with. Yeah, It's not even enough to be secretive if you don't know if there's anybody else around who are your peers right this is I think people from the outside cis hetero people who've never deal with any of the issues as fraught issues for themselves sometimes don't know 
how alienating it can be to not know right. if there are any other humans around that you can trust or be with, right? That is why yeah. this is such an important thing. That is why this is, you know, revolutionary implies big change. And there was such a conspiracy of silence. Not everyone was suffocated mm -hmm. by it in the old days, but I think you could probably argue that most people were in one way or another. You know, my cishet mom had a secret and she practically didn't give it up before she died. And she lived with its effects every day. And so many different kinds of people, so many different kinds of secrets or, or, or repressions or that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until the consent movement started to help us unpack that it wasn't enough to be sex positive. Right. What we thought that meant was, now I don't think this is what it means fully, but but many people do think that what it means is, I'm so enthusiastic about sex. And I'm having sex with everybody, let's go. You're reaching for your kids, right? I mean, <laughs> I, so many people of, you know, of a certain age, whatever it is, or in a certain community can be like, you know, yeah, I, I went to go and find support, maybe see if there was anybody cute. And I wound up, you know, underneath a pile of wild fornicators. I didn't, I didn't know what I, I didn't know how to get out of there and go home. I mean, I guess it was an informative and kind of a fun experience. I mean, when people start talking about it used to, it just used to be like that. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, the Me Too discussions and all that stuff. It's like that. That is that is not the last word. On this. If anything, it's kind of the first word, and then you need to unpack a lot. But, yeah. but I don't want anyone who has had sex that they didn't want to have to feel like it was their fault. Not for, I mean, the whole the whole vibe was, if we're these kinds of sexual people, we should go have the sex then. Because otherwise, why did we come out, right? It's like, right. No, you have the. Let's let's now let's build a world where you're going to have the sex you want to have. Right. You want it? You desire it? It's it's the right time. It's the right place. It's the right person. With people. That's what. That's what allows us. Uh, without we can get that from consent, then. We're all okay. What about all the consent that we didn't have a chance to. Uh, you know, assert. Mm -hmm. And then the trauma informed folks are like, we're here. We see you. We're going to catch you. <laughs> we can talk about this. We know how to talk about this. We know how to help move people who, yeah. you know, learned about it in the street to, to move on into a space that feels healthy to them. Yeah. It's huge. It's such a growth spectrum it's you know like as you just broke down each of these different evolutions of like of a movement you know like this revolution around sex it has so many moving parts and so many ins and outs and one of the things i've been talking about is like you know this conversation around consent like it seems new because we're actually looking at and utilizing and finding ways in which consent is accessible and people are aware of it um, I think back like, when I first started this work, I was like, the, the concept of rape, like, I'm like, we need to 
evolved the idea of how we define rape. Like there was a time when it was just assault rape and then, you know, you throw a little date rape and a few other things. Boy, that sounds terrible when you say out loud, but a few other things. And then now we get to this conversation around consent. We have these conversations around boundaries and there's so much trauma and there's so many things that people don't realize what's actually come, like come into their lives. Um, in the realm of sex positivity, you mentioned like asexuals and I'm like, I know so many sex positive asexuals that are like, great, love what you're doing, not for me, maybe someday, but like, it's not a thing. And there are people who are sexual who are not sex positive. Absolutely. Including, I mean, the, the big, the big definition of sex positive, the one that I consider, you know, truly revolutionary and like movement level, um, how do we make a culture where, ev- where diversity is honored, everybody gets the information they want, everybody gets the, everybody gets what they need around sexuality, consent is baked in, but so is mm-hmm. informed sex positive know-how all the things I looked for in books and couldn't get. Uh, the, the, the hand of the state is not repressing people around sexuality or sexual choices and so forth. You know, it's, 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 it's a big, like I, I like the phrase sexual justice. It's been used in other contexts too a little bit, but I like, mm-hmm. I like thinking about this as a, just an overarching justice issue. And again, that's not what the average person who saw the word sex positive in a magazine thinks it means, but I still care that they are enthusiastic about sex because yay, that's probably, that probably feels better to them than feeling bad about it, right? I think yeah. we can assume for most people that's the case. And then there are the people who feel bad about it and are having it anyway for all the different reasons right you know there are people who feel who feel good about it in theory and the sex they're having right that's hopefully a learn some more consent communication some some fun tips and tricks maybe there's a sex toy involved maybe there's not but probably a book or at least a you know a, a, a youtube from a smart person who knows what they are talking about as opposed to some of the other ones but 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 you know, we can probably fix that. The, the shame and I've had nothing but terrible experiences with this part of life, but guess I'm expected to do it anyway, kind of person. I want, I, I want, I want us to be there for them too, but it is a, a more difficult reach to reach them. It is not as easy. Um, but it's so important. Yeah, you know, I, I agree 100% when we're talking about like the people who like they're doing it and they don't feel good about it like that. That is the epicenter of shame and shame can do so much. You know, shame is dangerous. Shame can eat away at an individual. It can cause them to harm other individuals, harm themselves. Like there's a lot of danger in that. And that's a part of this conversation around taking the shame and taking all these other contexts out of sexuality and allowing it to be something that's beautiful and free and available. Um, I wanted to point out earlier, you talked, you mentioned sex wars. We're in the sex wars, kind of like Star Wars. I love it. I'm like, really? (laughs) 
So on a planet far, far away. <laughs> now there have been a bunch of porn movies made with that premise after Star Wars. They were like, "We're here. Let's see, let's see if we can make our van look like a spaceship inside, and just bring the camera. Come on, let's do it." <laughs> I definitely saw some of that porn. <laughs> um, so what clicked for me there is like, you know, like referring to sex wars is like saying like the race riots. You know, like I heard people talk, oh, the race riots in the United States. And I'm like, why is it that anytime a group of oppressed people is standing up for themselves, it's considered something bad in a global context? Like sex wars, really? Well, who who's on the front line of those sex wars? Maybe the people who are most oppressed when it comes to their sexuality. Maybe the people who are getting the most laws that don't benefit them and are being policed. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yep. Why did you have to steal that nice word gay and use it like that? Oh. <laughs> it's like, Grandma, you have no idea what happens when we go outside. That's, yes, that's the thing. It's, it's the, it's the, the revolution that is necessary for people to try to find a space of safety of dignity, of connection with others. The people who don't have to store those kinds of things, regardless of the, 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 the baseline, you know, whether it's a race riot or a sex war or a, you know, a gender panic or right. whatever it is. Oh, oh what is it? Trans, trans people are coming after our children, that whole conversation, because of the like, education in schools. It's like, um, I am, I, I, I can't even, so, so in this case, so, so the sex wars are a cultural struggle, right? This, the, whatever, whatever people might put into that basket, there are real reasons for, for the kind of social change that we look for, the kind of re revolution that we seek to make happen. And honest to Goodness, all you turfs the are not hanging around in the damn bathroom looking through the crack at you. Right. I don't care how much you worry that that might happen. It's not the reason that the trans community has had to fight and claw to get some dignity. That's not it. And you're kind of screwing that up a little bit. So maybe, maybe, maybe remember, I mean, I think each one of us, this, this, this sounds like it's a digression, but I'm talking to the Terps and everybody else when I say this, that the thing that I see as almost the most problematic thing among uh, our sexpert class, our, our, our people who, step out to, to be voices and spokespeople around sexuality in so many ways. The thing that I am most worried about is the idea that any one of us can have grown up in our, in our body, in our life, or live, live in our sexual identity in our world and go, oh, I know what sex is like now because you know what it's like for you. Right. You don't necessarily know what it's like for all the other people. And I feel like 
some turfs are are taking their their turf <laughs> and <laughs> building this building this idea this ideology on this you know this lot that they have that and they can't they can't even see across the street from where they are yeah and i i want everyone to understand that this is exactly why communication is a sexually act mm-hmm. it's not just because if you can communicate about sex it means that you have taken some steps to conquer shame because you almost have to have to be able to open your mouth and use your words and have them be sex words and have them be talking right. about your own body or whatever you want talking about sex is fun it's also controversial and intimidating <laughs> it's 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 huge and so it's important it's why we recommend it to everybody about everything all the time you can't have your consent conversation in your sex and or kink negotiation without some words you you got to you got to be able to talk about this stuff but you also need to be able to talk about it so that you can understand and hear from others who also need to be able to talk about it that our experiences aren't all exactly the same and then maybe we can start to make some progress in figuring out how to be better allies to each other. I mean, some people find that that getting into a sexually commun- communicative space means that they learn all kinds of things that they had no idea. And, you know, maybe that opens some some doors for them. That's wonderful. But it's that's not what it's about. Yeah. It's about is not sitting around assuming that everything you have experienced is the way it is. Right. Yeah. Cis normative, het normative, white normative. There's so many contexts. Even homo normative. Yeah. <laughs> so many contexts. And and you know, we can't, you know, if if somebody doesn't doesn't experience these things the way we do, I don't know, maybe we don't let them at our private club. That'd be that'd be a little mean, but you know, maybe that's a maybe that's a boundary. But yeah, but yeah, it doesn't mean they're wrong usually. If they're living in a consent-based way or, or trying to get there, they're not wrong. It's no. different. No. Um, on a few episodes ago, I, it was so funny. I was like, oh, my God, I learned what sex was today. And the person. Talk <laughs> <laughs> about time. <laughs> she was like, sex is whatever happens between two or more persons as defined by whatever they just say it is within that space and time. Like whatever it was, it was like, they choose what it is and it's none of your business. And I was like, yep, sounds right. <laughs> and I would add that if there's not another person there and you feel like it's pretty sexy and it's just you, that, that's probably sex too. I, I'll give you that. I will give you that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want people running around saying, oh, that's not sex. That's not sex. That's not sex. I'm a, that's not sex. It's like, where what do you mean (laughs) okay how can that not be okay but but it's confusing if that's your definition you need to be able to explain what your definition is to others another good reason to use your words yes yes um okay so i'm asking everyone who's on the show in the month of december for the holiday season what do you want for christmas well, what I want for Christmas is um, 
first for Christmas to back up just a little bit from all of the capitalist situation that it, you know, how, what, what percentage of that island full of plastic and junk in the Pacific Ocean is about Christmas? Some percentage, I bet. So I want people to settle down a little bit with uh, the only way that we know how to show love is by piling some stuff up for people to mm -hmm. present. I love, I love all that. I love all that. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a Christmasian pagan. So I want to remind everyone also the Christmas tree all took mm -hmm. that my ancestors before there was any Christianity among them. So just, just remember that. And just, mm -hmm. you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Don't light, don't light a live candle on that tree like my ancestor did or else your house will burn down. Fine. There's that. What I really want is I really want people to embrace what we were just talking about, which is talking about sexuality and communicating about it. That's what I want for Christmas, all people, is for everybody to talk a little more. You can start by just talking among your friends with your boo if you have one or your family if they'll talk to you about just sex in the world, actual, like, the, like these, these philosophical topics. It's not hard, it's in the news. Just say, oh, I saw a news article today, whoa. And then that also helps you understand what the people around you so you know if you're safe there or whatever, multi-purpose thing. And then, you know, who are you? What do you want? Is what you want different? Oh, here you get menopausal. You probably better talk about that too. Things might change. Anything in the world could mean that things might change. We've been living in a stressful time. It affects our sex life. Let's make sure we check in with each other about things because that smashes shame and normativity and helps us like get to the point where we're like, I get it. People are different. Let's check it all out. This is interesting. It's interesting. I want people to know that it's the best. Being able to talk about to anybody about sexuality, it's the best thing. It's so freeing, <laughs> so freeing. Sometimes I talk a little too much. I've been home visiting family and I should have a little, um, what's the word? <laughs> this filter. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, my poor, my poor uh, dear departed mother and father are, you know, floating all around on a cloud or whatever, whatever, and going, Thank goodness we don't have to have Thanksgiving with her anymore. Jeez, she never shuts up about this stuff. Stressful. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a consent thread in all of that too, but you know. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. I know they're proud of you for doing this. I know that they are. Somewhere, somewhere even if they don't say it, I know that they are. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. So before we wrap up, is there any other resources or anything you want to share with us before? Yeah, go ahead. Well, um, I, you know, we, we mentioned that I've been working at good, good Vibrations for a long time. And they were like, you know what, why don't you dump your brain into a book just in case, you know, you're ever not around here anymore. And I'm like, okay, fine. Um, and so the Sex and Pleasure book 
um, is my most recent book, wrote it just a few years ago, Good Vibrations Guide to Great Sex for Everyone. I didn't title it that because that's kind of, that sounds like I know everything and I hope I know a lot of things, but relevant to most. And what I was saying about sex positivity, there's a, there's a chapter early on that sort of explains and lays all that out. A lot of info about sex toys, a lot of information about sex and the lifespan. And um, I just mentioned menopause. And I so I just wanted to say that there's a book that my friend Heather Corinna just put out this year. And if anybody out there is dealing with this stuff or knows someone who is, the book is called Wash, What Fresh Hell Is This? Perimenopause, menopause, other indignities, and you. <laughs> it will change your menopausal life, listeners, or your partners who, who are, or whatever. <sighs> Don't be ashamed of this stuff, but people have not told you all the things, and, and it's important to get informed no matter what. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Awesome, I'm on awesome. Facebook and I, I'm on Instagram and I once in a while I put a thing on there and I'm on Twitter Carol Queen so people can can poke around and find me saying things once in a while out there and they can uh, they can tune into the Center for Sex and Culture when we get our website fixed it, it's, it's coming back it's coming it's back. back it's not fixed now but it will be fixed later and and i hope that that people will want to check that out then absolutely well uh make, i'm going to make sure i get the links from you about the book so we can get that out to people uh as well as um other information the antique vibrator museum i've been it's phenomenal carol gives a great tool <laughs> um Perfect. yes Yes. Uh, and thank you so much. Thank you for this conversation. It's powerful. It's eye-opening. And I have a lot of gratitude. I always love a chance to talk to you for any length of time, especially a whole hour. What a, what a wonderful, what wonderful questions, what, what wonderful thoughts to share. Thank you very much for having me. Really an honor. All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. This is the ITCAST, our community outreach podcast that aims to increase diversity in conversations on health and sexuality. Through this work, we are creating a world where all people feel loved, honored, and respected. Support the ITCAST and learn more about our work at theitcast.com. Subscribe to this YouTube channel right here and share with your community. Thank you so much. And we will see you next year. Wow. Happy all the holidays, everybody. Happy all the holidays. <laughs> <laughs>